If everybody wants to come on in and sit down before we start, does anyone have any prayer requests? All right, well, if there's no prayer requests, then uh, Brother Kim, would you open us up in prayer? Amen. Well, obviously, I'm not Pastor Kim or Cameron, but we're going to have a class today anyways. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bible, take your Bibles to uh, turn to in the New Testament to Hebrew, uh, Luke chapter 13. Uh, you can see the notes up there. Luke chapter 13 and verses 10 through 17. I want to speak this morning on the subject of what is ministry. And uh, so we'll go ahead and I'll read these verses out loud. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse number 10, the Bible says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And the Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound low these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So this... This is, in my opinion, one of the most interesting stories in the healing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, on a certain Sabbath day, the scripture says the Lord was teaching in a synagogue. And as he taught, he saw a woman who was bowed over with spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She had languished in that terrible condition. Can you imagine? I, you know, you ever seen somebody become, maybe because of... Uh, uh, yeah, scolios. So anyways, that's what her condition was. She was all bowed over. And so seeing her made the Lord stop speaking and go into action. And that's what ministry is. And so moved by compassion, he loosed the woman from her infirmity right there. And although the religionists were not moved by any compassion for her, they were moved with indignation because their traditions were violated by Christ showing compassion and healing her on the Sabbath day. Come on in, sister. We're all in here today. So Jesus healed her because he was moved by the Spirit of God. Most people do not understand the moving of the Spirit of God. 
they think that it's speaking in tongues, ickety lickety lickety split. But but uh, many people, uh, on the other hand, they they do view the moving of the spirit as a threat to their own power or maybe their prestige or, or their comfort. The ruler of the synagogue, he railed at Jesus for his work of ministry on the Sabbath day. Can you believe that? But many will criticize us when we follow uh, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ because much of what the Bible demands of us is contrary to the traditions and popular trends of the day. And so today I want us to consider again this familiar little story. From this incident, I think that we can discover some important truths and principles about what Christian ministry is all about. And uh, so we're, that's what we're going to do. First of all, number one, Jesus was always available to teach in the right place and uh, on the right days. So please notice carefully that Jesus could always be found teaching in some synagogue on the Sabbath day. He didn't not go because he was probably going to be opposed. There were plenty of opposition, but the Bible, when it, when, when it tells us about Jesus on the Sabbath day, he's usually in a synagogue and teaching. And so he ministered the word to needy people at the appointed place and on the appointed day. So the synagogue was the place where the Jewish people would meet and study the Bible and pray. That's what they did in synagogues. And although there were rulers, a synagogue wasn't a church. It was, it was different. Although they prayed and studied the Bible, it wasn't a church. Uh, they, they, there was a ruler in the synagogue, but the ruler, his only task was to care for the building and to guard the copy of Scripture that a synagogue was required to have. A synagogue couldn't be a synagogue until it had a copy of the Old Testament law. And once it had that, then somebody needed to care for it and guard it. And so the ruler, that was his job. And every Jewish man who felt that he had something to offer, uh, as far as teaching goes, on, on the Sabbath could stand up and he could read a portion of the Bible and he could, he could expound on it. Now today, we're not Jews and this is not a Sabbath meeting in a synagogue. This is a Baptist church. But Jesus Christ set as an example, and, and the principle there is one that we better be careful to follow. Because he went to the appointed place of worship for the purpose of teaching people God's word. And we should make sure that we are always in our appointed place of worship at the appointed time. Uh, so if, if that woman, imagine if that woman had stayed home that day she wouldn't have gotten healed. Plenty of people have missed out on blessings because they weren't where they should have been. Do you want God's blessing on your life? Make sure you're where you should be and at the appointed time, which means not late. Sometimes people come where they should be, but they still miss the blessing because they came late. Not only should you be where God's word is taught, you should also be doing what God has called you to do. Amen? These days, there's a disturbing tendency to practice the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Do you know who they were in the book of Revelation? Their name, the name of this sect, the Nicolaitans, literally means conquering the people. 
And they advocated a clerical hierarchy similar to what's found in Roman Catholic churches and even in some other Protestant churches, uh, you know, where you have a priest and then you have a, a bishop and then an archbishop and then a cardinal and then the pope way at the top. And uh, so that's what the Nicolaitans did. They had all of these rulers over top of the people. That's why their name means conquering the people. Uh, but God hates this unscriptural division of his people. And, and, and frankly, so should we. The beauty of a Baptist church is everybody here is the same. Even though I'm the pastor, even though somebody may be a trustee or deacon, it doesn't matter. We all have one vote in church business. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is always level. So nobody is above anybody else. The, um, in each one of us, we believe as Baptists is, is called to take God's word to a needy people. And so every Christian may not be a pastor, but every Christian should be a minister. And every Christian should have the ability to teach something of the Bible to others. There are many opportunities to teach in this church. And I hope that you understand why you need to do that, why you need to be able to teach God's word. At the very least, you should know God's word well enough to be able to teach a lost sinner how to be saved. All right, number two, there's a second thing we can learn. Jesus was moved with compassion because of people's needs. So uh, note that Jesus was moved with compassion there. Uh, we frequently read of Jesus' tender compassion in the Bible. He never saw a needy person without his spirit being moved to help them. He was always wanting to help. When he saw somebody that was sick, he wanted to heal. When he saw somebody that was uh, demon-possessed, he, he wanted to, uh, to put the demon out of them. He wanted to help people. And uh, this is... Um, this woman, this woman, she had both physical and spiritual needs because the Bible said that she was bowed together and she couldn't in no wise lift herself up. And that's what sin will always do to us. Sin is never going to straighten us out. Sin doesn't benefit us. Sin always distorts our perspective. Uh, it bends us over with burden and grief. You know when that woman was all bent like that? You know what she couldn't do? She couldn't look up. That's what Satan wants to keep you from doing. Satan wants you bent over like this and unable to look up. So uh, it keeps us from viewing things rightly and it makes it hard to look up to heaven and God. And it keeps our eyes and attention focused downward on earth and earthly things. So sin had strapped this woman's strength, sapped her strength so that she couldn't in no wise lift up. And uh, for those without strength because of sin, though, there is good news. Romans 5, 6 tells us, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, her, her problem, her malady, her illness was not just some infirmity of the flesh. The text says that it was a spirit of infirmity. It wasn't a disease or a virus of infirmity. It was the spirit of infirmity. Satan had an active hand in this woman's misery. And the Lord Jesus very plainly says that it was Satan that had bound this poor woman for 18 years. So we need to remember that things are not always as they seem. 
Probably most physical ailments do have a natural cause, but some are spiritual in nature. And these cannot be cured in a hospital or with medicine. At the very least, we can minister to hurting people by prayer. Even if we don't have the ability to even discern whether or not their, their physical problem is spiritual or physical in nature, we, 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 maybe we can't tell, but we can at least pray for them. And that's what the Bible says we should do. Do you remember that Christ told his disciples that it was because of a willful and shameful lack of prayer on their part that the boy that had been brought to them while, while, while the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, uh, the, they brought a boy who was possessed of a devil to Jesus, and the disciples couldn't do anything to help him. And then Jesus came, and Jesus cast the devil out, and they said, uh, how come we couldn't? Because, because yesterday we could. And Jesus said, because this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. And uh, they hadn't been willing to do that. In fact, we don't even read that they prayed, much less fasted. James 5 in verse 15 assures us that the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. And in verse 16, if you read that, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so uh, we can at least pray for people who are sick. We can pray for people who have problems that God would bless them and heal them and, and, and take away the, the problem that's, that's uh, hurting them. In Romans 12, 12, it admonishes us to lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So I ask, do you have compassion on those who are in bad shape? The Pharisees sure didn't. If you study the Pharisees, they, they never had compassion on sick people. In fact, they looked down on sick people because they believed that somebody who was sick was sick because they were being judged of God. But Jesus never said anything like that. In fact, the disciples, when that man was born blind, they, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because they believed what the Pharisees had taught, that every physical problem is, is the result of sin. And Jesus said, neither that man nor his parents but that God should get glory. That's why he was born blind. So Christ was moved with compassion, the kind of the compassion that they lacked. And I ask, who do we resemble? Do we look like Christ because of our compassion or like the Pharisees who would walk by somebody in need and never even consider helping them? in any way. There's a third thing about ministry. Would you please consider that Christ saw the needy woman? Now we already considered the needs of the needy woman. She had a physical problem, she had a spiritual problem, uh, but, but you know I want us to think about the occasion of her encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we read there, we never read that she came to Jesus and said, Lord, help me. Do you remember the one woman who had an issue of blood and she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, 
And she pushed her way through the crowd until she was able to just reach the hem of his garment and touch it. She wanted to be healed. Uh, she, she, she was going to get at Jesus no matter what. But that's not what this woman did. In, in uh, the, 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 do you remember the, uh, the two people in the Bible that Jesus said had great faith? There are two people, only two people, that Jesus said that they had great faith. The first was the centurion whose servant was sick. And he, went, he came from another city, a day's walk away, and he came to Jesus and he said, come with me and heal my servant because he's, he's, he, he may already be dead. And Jesus said, I don't need to go. He said, go, go. I'll do it. Just believe. And he, he believed. He said, Lord, you don't, need, you, you don't need to go. He said, you just need to say the word. He said, because I'm like, I'm a man of authority too. And I tell my servant to go here and he goes and do this and he, and he has to do it. And if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, great. I've not found so great faith in Israel. And the other one was that serial Phoenician woman whose daughter was grievously vexed with the devil. And she came begging to Jesus, and he seemed to ignore her. And finally the disciples said, Lord, let us send her away, because she crieth after us. And he said, I'm not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she looked at him and she said, True, Lord, but even dogs get to eat at the master's table. She said, I'll be satisfied with crumbs. And Jesus said, I have not seen so great faith. Those are the two people that, that Jesus said had, had great faith. There was that uh, blind man, Bartimaeus. People tried to shush him, but he cried all the louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But this woman didn't, she, she did come to the, the uh, synagogue, but I don't know that she knew Jesus was going to be there. She was in the right place and she was there in the right time, but she never did ask to be healed. Jesus saw her. Now, Jewish synagogues were normally, they were, they were always arranged the same way. There'd be a central meeting place on the ground floor for the men. And the women and the children were up in the balcony. And that's the way it was done. And therefore, she was not particularly near to Jesus when he saw her. She was up there in the balcony. And in spite of her silence and distance, Jesus took note of her. And that encourages me. That encourages me because I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel like uh, I'm anything special. And I'm not sure why God would bless me. And I don't know why God would love me. There's so many more that, that are better than me. But Jesus noticed her. And noticed that the Lord called her a daughter 
of Abraham. There's only one other time when Jesus used that, that description about somebody. Do you know who it was? Can you remember? Who else did Jesus say was a daughter or son of Abraham? It was Zacchaeus. The traitor. Sometimes uh, people are involved in some awfully bad things before their salvation. Uh, I, I know of a missionary in Thailand who before he got saved, he was heavily involved in witchcraft. I don't mean uh, Harry Potter. I mean legitimate actual witchcraft. Being born again makes us a new creature in the eyes of God, but it doesn't dismiss the devil from being an influence in our lives, especially if he had a handle on us before. So whatever the cause of Satan's uh, a long-standing handle of affliction on this woman, I want to point out to you again that she was in the right place at the right time. And that meant being in the appointed place of worship at the appointed day of worship. One of the greatest things that we can do to minister to needy people is simply to notice them. Sometimes they're very near to us. And sometimes they're a little way off. But often they're silent and suffering. And Jesus was always ready to help and heal. And he's called us as his ministers. He's called us as his ambassadors. He's called us as his witnesses. He's appointed us to take up his word and go forth to help those who are needy. Now often those who need our prayer and spiritual assistance are right beside us. And maybe there are some here today who have come to our place of worship in spite of a lot of difficulty and struggle and conflict in your heart and in your life. Do you believe that the pastors and deacons are the only ones who bear responsibility to lift up the hands that hang down in the feeble knees? Some people would be greatly helped just to know that you care for them and that you will earnestly pray for them. So I think this is a tremendous a principle of ministry here that Jesus saw a needy woman and he called her to himself. That's the next thing. He, he called the woman to him. Christian ministry is, is not about uh, the exaltation of Christ, of, of, of the disciples. Now, in spite of how many Baptist people behave, there really is too much of that going on today where, where the servant is the one being exalted instead of Christ being exalted. And uh, it seems every time I go back to America, I see that taking place more and more, uh, people glorifying a man and holding up a man on a pedestal as if somehow if we can just keep, be where this guy is at or be under the shadow of this man, then God will bless us. Uh, I, I, I don't go for that at all. I think that's, that's idolatry. Our job is to bring needy people to Christ. 
It's interesting that in order for her to come to Jesus, she had to leave her place with the women in the balcony and then come down amongst the men. And certainly that required her to leave what would be her comfort zone and perhaps to even suffer a little bit of humiliation. To have to come down and stand there in the midst of the men with every eye upon her watching as she slowly made her way down the stairs. This woman was bowed, the Bible says, and she could no wise lift herself up. She didn't just dance down them stairs. Jesus said that if we follow him, then we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And crosses today are not too much perceived as being objects of humiliation and death. I see some very immoral and openly ungodly people who wear crosses, or they might even have them tattooed. Uh, one time years ago, uh, Brother Lewis and I were passing out tracks in Itaewon, and uh, there was this kid, I don't know if he was American, he might have been Canadian, but but he had on a big wooden cross. I mean, it was like this big great big wooden cross around his neck and uh, Pastor Lewis handed him a gospel track and he tore it in half and then he threw it right back in Brother Lewis's chest and said I don't need your stupid imaginary friends and Pastor Lewis said why are you wearing a cross that's fashion I like the way it looks he said wow Coming to Jesus meant sharing in his humility because God giveth grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And we'll fail miserably in ministry if we don't call people to Christ. Now, I am a militant fundamental Baptist. That does not mean, however, that I carry a gun. I carry the sword of the Lord. It, it, it doesn't mean that I object to government. I only object to government that is opposed to the Son of God. Being a fundamentalist doesn't mean that I think that somebody can only go to heaven if they attend a Baptist church. The thief on the cross never attended any church and he wasn't even baptized, but Jesus promised him a place in paradise. Being a fundamental Baptist means that I will never apologize for a history and heritage that testify to a love of Christ and a willingness to share in his reproach. It means that I'm not going to follow the crowd. It was the crowd who loved Christ when he fed them and then later shouted crucify him. The religious crowd, they don't very often, they aren't willing to bear a cross or to suffer with Christ. They, they want to look like the world, act like the world, and dress like the world. Jesus called this needy woman to him. And she could have stayed in her place there in the balcony. She could have insisted that he come up and heal her where she was. 
but she did come down to Jesus. And as you and I go about ministering to needy people, remember that our job is to lift Christ up and to point all men to him. And when, when, when we will do that, Jesus will draw men to him. I think if there's a reason for the dearth of souls being won and of a harvest being reaped, it's probably simply because we're not lifting up Christ. Now, there's just a one last thing, and, and, and we'll close. I know that those notes have been less than what I'm saying, and I'm sorry for that, uh, but I hope that it's still a blessing to everybody. But I want you to see that Jesus used different means at different times to heal people. He laid his hands on her and healed her. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus merely spoke the word and then healing was accomplished. Other times he would use water, sometimes clay, once even spit to heal people. But in this case, he touched this woman and that touch brought her into contact with divine power. And if we're going to help people, we have to try to bring them into contact with that same divine power. Now, how can that be done unless we ourselves live in a close relationship to the Savior? Do you think that people cannot tell a holy life from one that's a sham? James 4.8 advises, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. There's no secret recipe for drawing nigh unto God. It's, it's not a few special secret ingredients that we stir together and we throw in the oven for a while, and then out comes the sanctified life. Salvation is not a process. It happens the moment that a sinner cries out in faith to God, be merciful to me. That glorious occasion is a new birth. Drawing nigh to God, though, is a process. It's a journey. It's a journey which the great Baptist pastor, John Bunyan, described so well in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And perhaps it would be good for those of you who are unfamiliar with Pilgrim's Progress to get a hold of a copy of it and read that great Christian classic. If we will involve ourselves in the ministry of trying to save souls, God will bless us. And it's a shameful form of religion that has no time to help those who are in need, particularly those who need Christ. If Christ has saved you from hellfire, that should be all the motivation you need to get you to jump up and get into the work of the ministry. Now, Christian ministry was always hands-on for Christ. And it, I think it should be for us as well. If people are to come into contact with Jesus, then we have to come into contact with them. We need to find out 
those that are crooked and who need Jesus to straighten them out. We need to find those who've been bound by Satan so that Christ can set them free. We need to go out in spite of the objection and indignation of the religious crowd who will never have compassion on miserable people suffering under the bondage of sin and Satan. But that's what Christ has called us to do. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Even as my Father has sent me, so send I you. That's our obligation and responsibility as believers. And I think as Baptists, we have an even greater obligation than, than uh, other Christian people in general because I believe that we have a greater heritage. And so uh, that's a few thoughts on ministry. Just to consider uh, how Christ uh, went about doing ministry uh, when he uh, healed that woman who was bowed over for 18 years with a spirit of infirmity. And uh, I know that God wants to use each and every one of us. And God can, God can do amazing things. I, I've shared this before, but, but most people, they, they don't know who Edward Kimball is. He's not, not a famous person. But Edward Kimball, was, he owned a shoe store in New York City. And he had a 16-year-old boy named Dwight working for him. And he was burdened for Dwight's salvation, and he prayed and prayed and prayed. And at lunchtime, he would take the Bible, and he would show Dwight what the Word of God says. And after a few months, Dwight Lyman Moody bowed his head and trusted Jesus and got saved in that shoe store. And then he went out and won about three million people to Christ. Because Edward Kimball won D.L. Moody to Christ. God can use us to lead at least one person to Christ. But I think most Christians are going to go to heaven never having led another person to Christ. I think that, I think that uh, there's tremendous opportunity because I believe that this world is, is at the end of the end times. And I think that uh, as God's people, our desire should be to lift Christ up. And we have the opportunity to do it in a time when most people in this world are growing more and more antagonistic to Christ. But we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should be glad for the opportunity to be his witnesses in an increasingly dark world. And I, that's what I want. That's all I want as pastor of Young Sun Baptist Church is for our church to shine the light of the gospel as brightly as we possibly can. All right, let's uh, have a word of prayer. We'll close and uh, get ready for our service of few minutes early this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you for the opportunity we have today. And we thank you, Lord, for the souls that have been saved of late. And uh, God, how you seem to be working in people's hearts. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd use Pastor Kim this morning as he's uh, ministering 
over at Charity Baptist and uh, bless uh, uh, Brother Park and that ministry there and uh, give uh, Pastor Kim and Minchel uh, safety as they travel and a good time of fellowship with family and friends. Would, would you be with us and, and uh, Lord, would the Spirit move mightily in our services today? And uh, Lord, help us to lift the name of Jesus high today that he might draw men unto himself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.